Welcome, one and all, to episode two of Power Bombs and Pile Drivers, a wrestling appreciation podcast. I am your host, Chris Cook, and at some point, I'll have a different intro where I don't do the, the entire name and tagline, but today is not that day. Uh, you'll also notice that we are flying solo again, um, and that's because I couldn't arrange a time with Mike yet to do an episode uh, with him, uh, Mr. Stereo Mike, who will be a frequent co-host, and again, uh, much much deserved shout outs to him uh, for his help with uh, coming up with the name and the brainstorming stages of this podcast. Uh, you'll also notice that um, today we had a different theme song and uh, for the eagle-eyed, uh, for the topic of our today's episode, Mike Awesome. And that's because when I can... Um, or when we can, I should say, when we're doing a career retrospective or maybe a faction uh, retrospective, I want to include the theme, if possible, without violating any copyright infringement uh, and keep it within fair use. Um, and, I mean, I'll be honest, Mike Awesome's theme song is something that gets stuck in my head on the regular. It's, it's somehow in my top themes and I didn't originally think it was but I mean I'll be working and in between calls I'll suddenly just be like down, and just bobbing my head along and that was a terrible version of it um at least my interpretation of it not the actual theme song itself the theme song was dope um so if you couldn't tell by that preamble and the title of the episode and even the image um we are doing a bit of a shorter career retrospective on uh, the late, and I'll say great, Mike Awesome. Uh, and the reason I'm saying shorter is because, well, I'll be honest, I am uh, I'm recording, and across the street from me, they're, uh, they're having a driveway added, so there's a lot of construction noise, so I want to I wanna get this done in between that. Um, so we are looking at the uh, the career of Michael Lee Alfonso, who is actually a uh, a distant relative of Hulk Hogan, and that will come into play in at some point. Now, better known as Mike Awesome, uh, if you were an ECW fan in the late '90s, early 2000s, uh, and heck, even uh, for for worse, if you were watching WCW. In uh, 2000 through 2001, Mike Awesome uh, was a fixture there as well. Um, and within ECW circles, he has a, a mixed uh, mixed reception, shall we say, shall we say uh, to the point that Joey Styles' is a commentary at the first ECW One Night Stand uh, WWE pay-per-view where Awesome and Tanaka sh- stole the show... Um, the commentary got uncomfortable and that's because Mike Awesome left ECW and signed with WCW while being a champion, uh, while being ECW's champion, um, because of bounce checks. Uh, it's, it's difficult to be angry at the guy when it's like, Hey, he's not getting paid. ECW was in, bad financial state at the time and even though WCW's creative and everything was in the uh in the crapper um 
and WCW was not the juggernaut that it had been even just a couple years prior, there was going to be consistent, like, you knew you were going to consistently get your checks, um, and the pay was going to be, be better, uh, so you can understand why the guy would, uh, would jump, um, and then it led to that, uh, that tricky thing, which often people will be like, this is a little known fact, I'm like, I'm not sure how little known it is anymore, except to non-wrestling people, it led to a one-time occurrence where at an ECW show, a WCW contracted wrestler, wrestler Mike Awesome, wrestled uh, a WWF, now WWE, um, contracted wrestler Taz, who's now commentary in AEW, uh, for the ECW championship. And it led to a week where uh, Taz would rock up on Raw and SmackDown with it before eventually dropping it to Tommy Dreamer. And at some point, we might do an ECW uh, episode or series of episodes along with some on WCW, especially in its dying days. Um, cause that was a cluster. Um, I hope I'm still recording. I'm going to wait a second. Hey, I'm still recording. Awesome. Uh, okay. So, um, to give a little bit of a career retrospective as well, before going into, um, uh, some accomplishments, Mike Awesome, uh, debuted on February 26th, 1989. Interestingly enough said six foot six angry and mean so he was he was a larger guy in certain companies at the time and i think that impacted him when he got to the big two and we'll we'll get to there in a couple minutes uh mike awesome really cut his teeth before getting his known in ecw uh he really spent a chunk of his career uh in fmw um, frontier, frontier martial arts wrestling. Um, it's been re- it closed in 2002. It's been revived. Um, it's now FMWE. Um, but it was one of the wackier um, hardcore promotions in Japan. Uh, he he got his he got the career uh, started there as the Gladiator, uh, which he made his name for, um, his name as in Japan. Um, he also wrestled in all Japan pro wrestling. He would do a couple one-offs in pro wrestling Noah against, uh, wrestling legend Kenta Kobashi, uh, who at some point I want to do an episode on cause Kobashi was amazing. Um, he, uh, he made some stops in USWA, um, Florida, Florida championship wrestling. And then I think a couple one-offs in WCW before eventually signing with them, uh, in FMW, he was there from, uh, 1990 to 92 along with, uh, through 95. He spent the bulk of his career there through 97. Um, and then he would eventually depart in 1998 and then he'd do a year in uh, in old Japan as the gladiator from ninety set from ninety eight to ninety nine before showing up permanently or at least quasi permanently for for a couple months in 
1999 to early 2000 before going to WCW um, and being straddled with some of the worst gimmicks <laughs> that you could ever, ever get uh, saddled with. Um, some career highlights for him while he was in FMW is uh, he was the world, uh, he was part of the, he was a tag team champion there for their World Brass Knuckles Tag Team Championship, two-time champion with a Big Titan and Mr. Pogo. He was part of the, uh, he held the six-man championship once um, with uh, with Ganosuke and Hisakatsu, Hisakatsu Oya. I am so sorry for butchering the name. He was also the World Brass, he held the World Brass Knuckles Championship two times and he was the FMW Independent World Heavyweight Champion one time. And, uh, give me one quick second, I believe. Sorry, I've got some notes. I'm just reviewing them. Um, and it was the... He held the Brass Knuckles Championship for the long... Uh, his second reign was the longest reign in the championship's history, lasting for 489 days. Which, when you get outside of the 80s um, and early 90s, unless your names are uh, John Cena, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, or Triple H, you don't really hold championships for longer than a year. It's rare, It rarely even gets a year uninterrupted, let alone uh, 489 days uninterrupted. Um after competing as the gladiator in um, in Frontier Martial Arts and All Japan Pro Wrestling, which deserves its own episode, its King Road style was amazing. It had the nickname of Head Drop City. It's fantastic mas- matches, scary stuff without being ridiculously hardcore. Um, awesome. Did go to ECW on more of a... Uh, of a permanent basis. Uh, now he had shown up uh, between 93 and 94. Uh, he showed up in 97 and 98. Those were kind of as uh, like one-off appearances um, or two off appear like one or two off, but he didn't really set up a home base there until uh, September of 1999. When he arrived there, he arrived in shocking fashion winning the championship from Taz, from a departing Taz, and in a, in a three-way dance with uh, Masato Tanaka. Um, and Awesome's and Tanaka's, uh, <laughs> their feud is uh, winks-inducing and in some wrestling, wrestling circles legendary. Um, this also led to some fantastically gift uh, spots and matches uh, where Awesome would just ragdoll Spike Dudley around, um, wince-inducing, but also fantastic. Um, and Awesome had a had a penchant for power bombing people, and he had <laughs> he had like fifteen different power bomb variations in his arsenal. Uh, but his common finisher was a running one shoulder. Powerbomb and a running powerbomb, if gone wrong, can be um, 
can cripple somebody, as was the case with uh, Darren Drozdov and uh, um, with an accident with D'Lo Brown. Uh, but Awesome never in- injured anybody with that with that move. Um, he would have intense, hard hitting matches, especially with uh, with Tanaka, um, as well as with uh, with Spike Dudley, and uh, he also beat. Um, Tanaka and Tommy Dreamer for the ECW Tag Team Championship once, um, and that was with uh, that was with Raven, and that was all before he uh, before he left. Um, he was there for only a couple of months, um, September until about uh, I believe, yeah, no, September through April. April was his sudden appearance. Uh, his sudden and surprising appearance in WCW. Now, for that, like I mentioned, it was because um, it was because of the the financial woes ECW was going through, um, and then Awesome showed up in uh, in wonderfully shocking fashion, uh, joining the uh, the then New Blood, which I swear WCW in his dying days deserves a look um especially with the new blood and the millionaires club because man was that ever bungled um he showed up attacking kevin nash which great way to make a splash um uncomfortably he threw canyon off a cage and began a career killer gimmick um but and where that was uncomfortable was it was the arena where owen hart tragically um tragically fell to his death um and it, it got uncomfortable um so awesome would also aid billy kidman in his feud with hulk hogan if anybody remembers that it was cool but bonkers um he also feuded with ddp and canyon um and then he had his career kimmer his career killer gimmick but then just a few short months later <laughs> In July of 2020, oh, sorry, of 2000, at Bash at the Beach, um, which became infamous for another reason. Uh, Bash at the Beach uh, became infamous for WCW numerous times. Um, one in 96 for much better reasons, because um, it's the start of the NWO. Uh, but then this one was the start of the... Um, the a gimmick that wouldn't fly today, but he became known. He he became infatuated with um with larger women, and he became known as the uh, the fat chick thriller. Not a fan of the name. Uh, also terrible gimmick, and it was the start of a string of bad gimmicks for him as well. Um, just <laughs> seriously, uh, WCW in two thousand. Uh, just two months later. Um, now during those two months, he would, he would feud with Scott Steiner and Lance Storm, who was one of the few uh, highlights of, uh, of WCW's dying days. Um, fellow ECW alum, Lance Storm, uh, he would feud with those two, um, over the, uh, the WCW United States Championship. Uh, but then in, uh, September of 2000 the former career killer and larger women thriller became that 70s guy 
So he's debuted in the company. <laughs> and within five months, he's, he's on his third gimmick. This guy did not get set up to succeed. Um, and that 70s gimmick, that 70s guy was, of course, a reference to that 70s show. He started wrestling in 70s inspired uh, attire. And he would also drive a bus that resembled one feet that was on the Partridge family. And he drove into the arenas as part of his entrance. Um, not going to lie, as much as I hated that gimmick, I wouldn't mind if a 2K in a future WWE video game just uh, just put that in there. That'd be, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, good. Give us a Mike Awesome DLC, like an official one. It'd be great. Um, all right. So he also, during this time, he would also have an interview segment uh, called the Lava Lamp Lounge. And I wish I was making this up. Um, he would also, he, during this time, he also feuded with Vampiro, uh, who was allied with, I kid you not, the insane clown posse. Um, and he would battle that he would battle those two as well. Um, he, uh, there was a memorable segment with that where he faced the ICP in a, um, in a handicap match. And during that, he, uh, he hit, uh, Shaggy too dope. Ugh, I hate it. Uh, he hit Shaggy too dope with an awesome bomb on the roof of the bus. And then Shaggy fell, uh, slid off the bus and fell to the concrete floor below. No padding, nothing super, super dangerous and risky spot. It was memorable, but man, that could have gone sideways and bad. Um, and then, <laughs> and then just several months later, we got another <laughs> gimmick change. Mike Awesome, who was, uh, who was in no way Canadian, <laughs> then joined Lance Storm's Team Canada, and he then became the Canadian career killer, um, which, uh, what? <laughs> Uh, WCW, why, why? Um, and then he, he feuded with, um, Team Canada was at a time in a feud with the Filthy Animals and they were Conan, Rey Mysterio, Billy Kidman, Juventud Guerrera and Disco Inferno, I think was still involved with them at the time or he, he might've left by then. Um, and then he, uh, he challenged, uh, Kidman to hair versus hair. Um, Conan replaced him and, Awesome lost his uh, his longtime mullet, um, and then Awesome kind of faded into the background and was just assisting um, was just assisting um, Lance Storm in matches in his feud with Ernest the Cat Miller. Uh, now, in two thousand three, later in a shoot interview. Uh, Awesome revealed some of the things that he thought was leading to his horrible treatment in WCW. Um, (coughs) So, Awesome was a distant relative of Hulk Hogan. Now, at Bash at the Beach 2000, if you're new to wrestling, uh, there was a creator, the head of WCW creative at the time, uh, was a guy who had much success, but also a lot of help. 
um, in during the highs of WWE's Attitude Era. Although he was away during its highest time, uh, arguably in the early 2000s, um, in two thousand like from late '99 through 2001, Vince Russo wasn't there. Uh, in WCW, there were no restraints, no holds barred for Vince Russo, and it was bad now the company was in dire straits and if you've listened to eric bischoff's podcast and even give him remotely the benefit of the doubt or more importantly if you actually read uh the guy evans nitro book which is fantastic wcw was screwed period um but the russo stuff really really didn't help um but so that's all to say like there was a planned worked shoot which if you're new to wrestling a shoot is where it's just like hey i'm breaking i'm not in character i'm not i'm not doing a promo as like to promote a match like nah i'm i'm going unfiltered i'm being myself um so then a worked shoot is where it'll be a shoot but with like planned so it's a storyline one uh, so there was supposed to be a work shoot between Vince Russo and Hulk Hogan, but then Russo, if you listen to everybody who's not Vince Russo, did go to uh, went into business for himself and really buried Hogan afterwards, and then there was a lawsuit. So awesome kind of feels like with him being a cousin of Hogan and distantly related and especially related to Hogan's nephew, uh, Horace Hogan, who was poor Horace. Uh, just <laughs> not good. Anyways. Um, it's kind of almost like, Hey, uh, Russo looked at awesome as like too close to Hogan. And he took out frustrations with Hulk on awesome. And it could be, that could be believable just if you look at the, one, the string of horrible gimmicks that were outside of Awesome's wheelhouse. Awesome is fantastic in the, or was fantastic in the ring, but not that great on the microphone. Uh, And he had uh, intense charisma in the ring, but that didn't necessarily translate to like the electric charisma that say a rock or an Austin or anybody at that level would have. Like as much as I enjoyed Mike Awesome's work, it was under no illusions. Uh, And he didn't have, and he also didn't have that intensity that say a Brock Lesnar would, would have, but he still had an aura to him. So when the head of creative is suddenly booking you in situations that aren't to your strengths that are to your weaknesses and aren't uh and aren't doing anything to help turn those weaknesses into strengths you can kind of see how he gets to that that theory uh so eventually awesome uh wcw closed and then mike awesome showed up in um Mike Awesome showed up in WWE or WWF at the time uh, during the bungled invasion angle, which honestly 
as I've said for a bunch of things, could be an episode in and of to itself. Um, he uh, His biggest moment of notice during that was uh, he defeated Rhino in the back uh, and won the Hardcore Championship, uh, powerbombing Rhino onto a, uh, onto a wooden skid. Um, and that was kind of the high, the high, uh, highest spot Mike Awesome got in, um, in WWF, uh, WWE. He was the first invader to gain gold, to gain gold, uh, but he then lost it to Jeff Hardy on, uh, on SmackDown in July. Um, so he won the champion, the hardcore championship once he won it in June of, on June 25th, 2001. And then he lost it on, uh, July 16th. Um, and then awesome basically started only showing up on the B shows before being sidelined with an injury in November. Uh, he made a return to SmackDown via the Velocity show um, in July of two, July 27th, uh, 2002, uh, where he was defeated by Tajiri. And Awesome was a mainstay on Velocity, which if... If you're outside of wrestling, you probably don't know Velocity. And then, heck, even those within wrestling don't necessarily remember Velocity. Heck, I think even John Cena com- uh, jokingly said on um, on his Ruthless Aggression uh, episode, like, which is a show that none of you have heard of. Uh, and Velocity was to SmackDown, because this was at the time of the first brand split, where it was two two-wearing rosters. Uh, Velocity was the Saturday night show, and it was the, the almost, not developmental show, but smaller show, the hour-long one, to SmackDown, which Sunday Night Heat was to Raw. Um, and then Awesome was released in September, uh, of 2002, um, September 27th, um, and he hated uh, so a direct quote from him was being in the WWE uh, sucked. I hated it. You had to kiss everybody's butt. Uh, he didn't say that word, but I chose to. Uh, you had to be on your political toes all the time. Uh, you would not. And there was a bunch of backstage politics. You were getting stabbed in the back constantly. And he was so unhappy. Uh, sorry. And he was so happy when he was told he was gone. Um, and then basically from there, uh, Austin awesome sorry would uh show up around on the independent circuit uh in the u.s and japan he returned to all japan uh where he competed as the gladiator once again uh he had a short stint with mlw uh during its first run before it closed its doors um where unfortunately he was uh he has the distinction of the shortest reigning mlw champion where he held it for 10 minutes um before losing it to Steve Carino. Um, and the reason with that was, uh, the reason for that was because the champion who he defeated, uh, Satoshi Kojima, um, his employers of all Japan would not allow him to drop the title to an employee of a rival company, Zero One, which was another Japanese professional wrestling, uh, another um 
Pirsu uh, company that um, Steve Carino was uh, working for. So awesome was like that one of those wonderful little wrestling ways of transitioning uh, transitioning the title. An absolute definition of a transitional champion, which is a real shame for uh, for Mike. Awesome uh, because. He should not be a transitional champion, but it's just one of those things. Uh, and then, of course, he showed up in Noah in its prime uh, and from two, uh, between 2004 and 2005. Um, then, in February 2016, um, Awesome announced... Sorry, 2006. Awesome uh, announced his retirement from wrestling. He wanted to spend more time with his family and adding that he felt he was underpaid for his work at the one night stand event last the previous year. Um, and he would only return if the money was right. Uh, he would pop up for a couple, a uh, couple small appearances, uh, for TNA in its early, early days. And then of course, um, of course he, uh, he showed up for one night stand in 2005. Um, now, like I said, the commentary in that match, um, with Masato Tanaka from Joey Styles, um, it's uncomfortable to rewatch. Uh, now the match in itself in some ways is uncomfortable because you get a lot of straight unprotected steel, uh, steel chair shots to the head. Um, those are Winston doing, there's a spot where Winston inducing, there's a spot where there's a power bomb where it goes through the table and part of the table's leg is sticking up. Uh, if Tanaka had been a couple inches towards it, like he could have been impaled. Um, so there's, there's that stuff. So it's also the commentary, um, styles at one point said after, um, Tanaka, sorry, Awesome did a really high, risky high spot. Um, Styles said, and it's a shame he didn't succeed in taking his own life, which is uncomfortable uh, because 20 months later, Awesome would, uh, Awesome would commit suicide, unfortunately. Um, But it's also noticeable for what an intense, uh, like, what a great worker he was that at the start of the match in an ECW crowd who was nothing but hostile to him at first, by the end of the match, they were chanting, the entire crowd was chanting, this match rules, and they gave both uh, both competitors a standing ovation. Um, and ECW crowds are insanely fickle. <laughs> insanely fickle so awesome winning them back over is uh is something um so awesome had uh commit suicide committed suicide uh roughly one year after announcing his retirement uh it was february 17th 2007 uh a group of his friends had found him dead after he had hanged him hung himself in um in his Tampa home, he was only 42. Um, he, uh, ECW, WWE, ECW, which again could be its own episode, um, displayed a in memory of. And so he did get the, uh, he did get the, the graphic treatment. Um, 
if Paul Heyman had been more involved. I'm, I'm not sure, but I would have. I personally would have liked more of a tribute, but the graphic is still nice considering he didn't have as huge an impact in WWE. The fact that he thankfully still got something it is better than nothing. And I don't mean that as sadly as it sounds. It's um, it's actually something I was thankful for. Uh, so again, to quickly run down some of his career highlights, uh, he was an EC, a two-time ECW World Heavyweight Champion, a one-time ECW Tag Team Champion, um, a one-time FMW Independent World Heavyweight Champion, a two-time FMW World Brass Knuckles Champion, including having the longest reign in that title's history, um, a two-time FMW Brass Knuckles Tag Team Champion, uh, a one-time FMW uh, Street Fight Six-Man Tag Team Champion, a one-time MLW World Heavyweight Champion. And it's interesting that Awesome holds the record of longest and shortest reigns with two different championships, 489 days and then 10 minutes. Um as well as a uh, a one-time WWF Hardcore Champion. Uh, in 2000, PWI Magazine rated him, uh, ranked him the number seven of the top 500 singles wrestlers at the time. Uh, and then the Wrestling Observer uh, gave him the worst gimmick in 2000. Which one? I'm not sure. Because two out of three were terrible. One was all right, but two out of three were were terrible. Um, all right, so this is where I'll also share just a little bit of my own personal thoughts on, on Mike Awesome. Uh, aside from the Russo factor or, or the backstage politicking, um, I feel Mike Awesome was in some ways and it's not anything he had control over because you you have no control over when you're born um but it in some ways it was wrong place wrong time uh a career starting in the late 80s or especially in the early 90s going into that early to mid 2000s era you can only be when you're six foot six, you're a big man if everybody else is closer to the average average height. Um, which in ECW and Japanese promotions, that was the case. In the big two, people were on average probably six three to six four. Uh, sorry, six three to six seven. And then, of course, you had a number of, of giants, like people who might be like 6'11", but build it seven feet. But you had a number of bigger, bigger men, um, bigger athletes. So he didn't have the he didn't have the height of Kevin Nash. He didn't have the frame or weight size to make him stand out like, say, a Vader or a Big Show or a Bam Bam Bigelow. So when he's one of the things that I makes him so intimidating to other people in his presentation was the size factor. When he's across the ring from someone who's maybe not as muscular as him, 
but roughly a similar height and a similar weight. Yes, he might outclass him in the ring, but he doesn't have enough visually to distinguish him from from everybody else. Uh, and he, even though there were smaller opponents at the time, they had enough flourish and flair and more technical stuff where it's like, oh, hey, they can they can stand out more. And as well, part of his style, even though I don't think he ever actually injured anybody, part of his style looked reckless. Like it wasn't, but it had the appearance of such. And you're going to have people who aren't going to want to take those power bombs or those those fantastic splashes, body splashes he would do. Like there are going to be people who, of course, the internet's jokingly going to go like, that doesn't work for me, brother. But there are going to be people who are just going to be like, nah, man, that doesn't work for me. Uh, and then if you have to, when you're already working in a diminished spot where your aura, when you line up Mike Awesome against Scott Steiner, like, yeah, that's, that's going to be a good match. But if you line up Mike Awesome... With someone like Taz's height or Kidman or Mysterio. Like, you get the aura that I'm going for. There's a huge size difference. Steiner was Big Papa Pump. Steiner was like walking muscles. Steiner had more of an aura than Awesome did. And WCW didn't do enough to protect it. In WWE, there were other... There were even more larger people on the roster. You had Big Show, Albert, Test, Taker, Kane... Bradshaw, uh, Farouk, even though Farouk wasn't really tall. Like, you, you get what I'm going for here. Awesome, even though he had a charisma in the ring, he didn't have a charisma on the stick. He needed a manager, and at the time, he, while you had so many hugely over people and hugely charismatic people, he had things working against him, so... His career, I think his career was as much as I would have loved to see it flourish. And I I do think in some ways he could have gotten higher heights. In WWE or a major promotion, it wouldn't have been at that time. His, his career was going to peak at the world championship level in Japan, which I'm not knocking because Japan is, Japanese wrestling is wonderful. Uh, but it's also very, very different. And he would have been, he was much more suited for there. And if it was going to peak in a promotion in North America at the time, it, it had to be, it had to be ECW. Uh, if Awesome's life had started later and career had started later, I think now he would flourish. I think he would absolutely be flourishing in... WWE or AEW or no doubt like NWA the the Billy Corgan's current version of it or Impact I have no doubt uh because on average most people are smaller now uh there's substantially less big men uh they would absolutely either try to get it, either work with the promo coach or or give him a very charismatic manager. I have no doubt Awesome would have gotten to the Intercontinental title or a U.S. championship run. Uh, 
possible, depending on the time, he might not have gotten to the WWE World or Universal Championship, but I could definitely see him being a contender, uh, or could have been in AEW, where they're uh, where they might take more risks and they do more of the hardcore stuff. World champion, possibly. A TNT title holder, most definitely. Uh, so awesome was his career. I think I'm not knocking it cause it's got some great accolades, but it wasn't, I, my personal opinion is it wasn't going to hit the heights that a lot of his fans, myself included, wanted it to in North America because the timing was wrong. His size wasn't in the big, in the bigger companies, his size wasn't the advantage it was, um, and he didn't have some of the, the charismatic stuff. So his aura got chipped away at uh, when he was lined up against other people and people bigger than him. So those are just my those are just my personal thoughts. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It went longer than I thought it did. But I've been a Mike Awesome fan for ages since the first time I saw him. He just had a wonderful intensity in the ring and a penchant for powerbombing people. Uh, people joke that Brock Lesnar spams F5s and German suplexes. Mike Awesome definitely spammed powerbombs. But when he powerbombed you into oblivion, it was fascinating to watch. Um, if you get the chance... I would recommend watching his fantastic bout with Masato Tanaka at ECW One Night Stand 2005. Like I said, wince-inducing and uh, for numerous reasons, but fantastic match. Uh, if you can get past the horrible gimmicks he was saddled with in WCW, he did put on some good matches there. Um, you can see the potential where, at the time, it wouldn't hit the heights that we would have liked to, but I think now it would. All that being said, I hope you enjoyed this uh, trip down memory lane with me, looking at the life and career of Mike Awesome. And we will be back with a new episode soon. Take care, and like always, enjoy some wrestling. Peace. Awesome.